morning. Please be seated. Man, again, welcome to St. John, whether you're here in person or watching online. I'm John, one of the pastors, and uh, we love uh, that song. We love reminding ourselves of who we are, that we are children of God. That is indeed who we are because of God's love for us in Jesus. And God loves you. You matter to him, and so you matter to us, and we would love to connect with you. And we found the easiest way to do that is simply invite you to text the word CONNECT to 833-440-0137, and you can uh, share as much or as little information as you want, but just begin that process. Maybe you've been with us for a while now, and you're like, well, now I think I'm ready to connect. You can use that anytime you want, but anytime a person connects with us for the first time, we donate $10 uh, to the Mansfield Mission Center in your honor, uh, because we love the work that they're doing in our community and helping needy people right here in our own hometown, and so we love to partner with them. And we've got a free gift for you, whether you're watching online or here in person. Uh, if you're here in person, you can stop at the connection counter after the service, and we've got a whole bag full of free stuff. If you're watching online, uh, we've got um, people who would love to mail you uh, that whole bag full of free stuff. So just give us your address, and we'll pass on that information. Uh, we do want to highlight something that's happening next week. It's our blessing of the backpacks, and it's not because we want to bless backpacks. We really want to bless the kids and the teachers and the administrators as we get ready to kick off a school year. And I say school year with all the apologies to the students. I know that's painful to hear, but it is coming, and we want to pray uh, over the beginning of the year. It's an annual tradition here. We love to bless students. So whether you want to join us online or be here in person, it's a great opportunity for you to invite uh, people that you know, whether they're students, teachers, or administrators. I reached out to our school superintendent at MISD, invited her to be a part of our Blessing of the Backpacks as well. So whoever you can bring, it's a great opportunity to invite somebody so we can bless at the beginning of the year. And again, thank you for your generosity in helping us to continue to do our mission to connect people to Jesus, connect with others, and change the world. Uh, you're making a difference. And if you want to give this morning, you can go to our website anytime you want. Or if you're here physically, you can uh, leave an offering in the offering plates or right by the door uh, on your way out today. Well, one of the things that I um, do as a speaker, I realize that I mix my words sometimes and I'll say something I didn't really mean. And, and a lot of times those are comedic. And one of my fears is that when I get to retire, uh, there's going to be a blooper reel. And it'll probably go on for days, I would imagine, looking at all the bloopers I've had. And I'm going to have to listen through that and go, oh, wow, that was painful. So one of the things I just sort of prepare my own soul for that is collecting bloopers of quotes of people knew they they wanted to say something, but they said something else. And I pulled out an oldie but a goodie out of here that I wanted to share with you just so you can commiserate with me for those of you who stumble over your words occasionally. It's uh, from Jason Kidd. I'm going to turn this team around 360 degrees. Boom, right back to where we were facing. Some of you are like, I don't get it. 360 is a full circle. You're not going in a different direction. You're going in the same direction if you turn 360 degrees. And as I thought about that quote, I thought, wow, I think that's what a lot of people do spiritually. They use confession, and it's not really a time to confess. It's like, I just want to offload this guilt I have, and there's no desire to change. And so it's just a 360, and boom, I'm going to leave here and do the exact same thing. Well, confession is so vital to our relationship with Jesus. And I want to share this out of the book of Hebrews uh, that talks about the importance of confession and what can happen. It says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, in other words, we know better, we're just disobeying. No sacrifice for sins is left. In other words, faith is really gone at that point. 
but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. That is why confession is so important. We want to invite you to take a moment to search your heart, not to do a 360, but maybe to do a 180, or maybe it's just a little off. And today you want to bring back and focus directly on Jesus today. Don't miss this opportunity. Today, his mercy is calling you. So I invite you to take a moment privately to confess. you're a child of God this morning, your sins have been paid for and forgiven in the name of Jesus. If you're not a child of God yet, we would love to introduce you to Jesus because he changes the direction of our life. And, and for those who are Jesus followers this morning, we realize that he is worthy. I mean, what else could you possibly give your life to that is more worthy than giving your life to Jesus? Who else would you want to live your life for rather than Jesus today, the one who has set you free today and set your life on a different path? So let's worship him today. So I invite you to stand with me as we sing. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever bring we live for you
morning. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As had just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. God, I pray that no one misses you today, that there wouldn't be any rebellious hearts turning away from you. And if they are, Lord, would you draw them back to you this morning? So let your word come alive in our hearts and our lives. It would transform the way we live. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series that Pastor Tim started last week to be healthy in an unhealthy world. And I tell you, a year and a half into uh, COVID-19, and it seems like, boy, we are still in the midst of it now with the Delta variant. And it just seems to be that the isolation and the loneliness uh, pandemic uh, has just increased the level of anxiety and isolation and loneliness that people are experiencing. And I can remember my wife at the beginning of this, almost a year and a half ago, saying, if we continue and if this goes on a long time, this social isolation, we are going to be paying for this for a long, long time. And I think we're starting to see some of the fruit of that isolation as people who have been separated for so long, and this is not a political statement by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm just not sure we should have called it um, social distancing. Maybe physical distancing would have been a better term for that. Let's say safe distance away, but this idea of socially isolating from one another and how dangerous that is because we are not created to be in isolation. And I, I can remember going out to San Francisco as a high school senior on a family vacation and going to Alcatraz. Anybody been to Alcatraz? A nice little island. And I just can't imagine uh, what that must have been like. And they took us over with the solitary confinement kind of wing, which is the worst thing you could ever experience as a person to be completely set off and isolated. And so they set us in the little dark cell and they shut the door. I'm like, wow, this is creepy for even just a minute. But they said, just listen. And so you could hear Fisherman's Wharf because the windows on the outside would face Fisherman's Wharf and everybody who's out there having a good time and laughing, you hear the talking and everything that's going on and you are just sitting there in the darkness by yourself. And I thought, man, this is torture. 
And this is the way I think emotionally people have been feeling going through this. And we live in an unhealthy world, so how can we be healthy? And Pastor Tim kicked it off last week by we know there are seasons of life. We're going to be in peaks and valleys, and we go up and down. And for a lot of people, the last year and a half has been a lot of down. And in those moments where you find yourself in a valley and you can't see your way out of it, that you need to gain some perspective. So if you missed last week, go to our Facebook or YouTube page and look at that message again and digest that. But today, we want to talk about community, because that's another thing that's so vitally important if we're going to be healthy in an unhealthy world. And so what I want to do today is talk about friends. Well, not necessarily uh, these friends, but I, I want to talk about friends. And I, I think, coincidentally, the popularity of that show is because somewhere it tapped into something deep inside of our souls that knew we craved that kind of relationship with one another. And so let's just take a look at a definition of friendship. If you looked it up and you could see, uh, it's a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. It's a person who gives assistance, uh, a patron, a supporter. It's a person who is on good terms with another, a person who is not hostile. And that's a good term. But on the other side, as you see on the screen over there, um, you can make 5,000 fr Facebook friends in a day. If you just pay the right amount of money, they can do that and get those friends for you. And I find it very interesting that we refer to them as, as friends. Like you can put 5,000 Facebook friends on your page, but which one of those is going to show up when you find yourself in a valley? And you find yourself needing somebody to talk to, to somebody to help you when you're in the valley, somebody to help you gain perspective. Who is it that's going to do that for you in the midst of that? There's a great story in the Bible that I love, and it's a story of King David before he became King David. David was going to, he was anointed to be the next king. The problem was there was already a king. And it wasn't David's dad. His name was Saul. And Saul was the king. And he had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan was going to be the next king, at least according to Saul. That's what you do. You become a king and you pass it on to your son. And so the legacy continues through your family line. The problem was is that everybody knew David was going to be the next king, including King Saul himself. And so that hatred and bitterness and envy just welled up inside of his heart where he finally got to the point where he was going to kill David. I'm going to take care of this. I know I'm going to get Jonathan on the throne. I'll kill David, and then we'll have no choice but to make Jonathan the next king. Well, the problem with that plan was that Jonathan and David had a special friendship, a deep connection that they had for one another, the way they cared and loved one another. In fact, the only reason that David knew of the plot to kill him was because Jonathan let him in on that. And so in 1 Samuel, you see this interesting exchange between the two. David's already on the run for his life. And while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, so he's gone out in the middle of the wilderness, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. So not only does he have to go out in the wilderness, but now Saul's brought out his army and he's looking for him and hunting for him. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh. And I, and I find that part very interesting because the king doesn't know exactly where David is. He's hunting for King David, but King Saul's son, Jonathan, knows exactly where David is. And so da Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength 
in God. He didn't just show up with a few platitudes. Hey, it's going to be all right. Hey, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. Just don't worry. Be happy. That wasn't Jonathan's message to King David. He goes on to describe what he was communicating to him. He said, everybody knows that God has ordained you to be the next king of Israel. I know that. My dad, the king, knows that. Everybody knows that. I want to remind you of who God has called you to be. Don't forget that, David, during the season where you're in the valley and you're a hunted man in the wilderness by yourself. Don't forget who you are. And he helped him find strength, not on his own, but in God. Because you can find strength in a lot of things. You know, the reason addictions work is because they work. They, they provide some comfort for a period of time until they get a hold of you uh, after a period of time. And God is the only thing I know, the only one I know whom will never let you down, who's a rock on which you can stand, that nothing can stand against him. So why would you ever try to bring somebody and strengthen somebody in anything else but in the hope and the calling that we have as children of God? Man, do you have somebody like this in your life? Do you have a Jonathan that sticks with you? And I hope that you do. Man, we are, are more socially, uh, or have the ability, at least digitally, to be connected with more people, and we find it's more lonely and isolating than ever before. I put in the, the weekly email that went out on Friday, a podcast I'd been listening to, and it talked about the epidemic, especially for men, how the number of friendships, deep friendships, have dwindled over the years. And they say the same thing now is true for women and children and students, that fewer and fewer deep friendships uh, we are experiencing in life. That doesn't bode well for the future of people. So who is it that you have in your life that you can pick up the phone and contact when you are finding yourself in a valley. And I need some perspective. I need somebody to give me some hope in God. I need somebody to give me some strength in God today. I want to introduce you to one of my friends uh, that has helped me throughout my years. I've known him since middle school. Uh, this is Norm, uh, affectionately called him. That was the last day in high school. Um, we got our books. That's my government book uh, in my hand there. That was the last class we had. We got our caps and gowns, and we were saying goodbye, and his sister snapped that picture uh, of us as we're getting ready to leave that campus for the final time. And I remember standing there going, wow, this seemed like just a blink. I can remember being a freshman wondering where my locker was and if I could remember my combination. And now I'm done with high school and man, I'm out of here and I just can't believe that. But I bring up that picture um, because the picture means a lot to me because Norm means a lot to me. And I mentioned we've been friends since middle school, but I'll never forget uh, when my dad passed away and I got the call on a Friday afternoon from my mom saying, we lost your dad. And, uh, and I immediately uh, hopped, got on a flight and uh, made reservations and got to the airport. And I called uh, my friend Norm and just let him know. I said, man, we lost my dad today. I'm flying back. He said, John, I'm going to meet you at the airport. I'll be there. Just let me know when your flight gets in. So uh, I let him know. And it turns out that that flight was canceled and then there were some weather problems and that was delayed and I wasn't gonna be leaving till almost um, midnight uh, in Houston to get to Detroit. And so I wasn't getting in till after two in the morning. And so I called him as we're getting ready to board about midnight and I said, hey, listen, Norm, don't worry about coming to the airport. I'm gonna get in. It's gonna be after two o'clock in the morning. I'm just gonna rent a car and don't worry. He said, well, you can rent a car if you want to. I'm still gonna be at the airport and I'm gonna be there for you. That was when you could go to the gate and uh, meet people coming off the tarmac. 
And sure enough, he was there and uh, gave me a ride home and spent a good portion of that weekend with me and was at the funeral and the funeral home and all those kind of things. And I just so appreciated the, the depth of the friendship that he had there. And the reason it meant even more to me is I know what he was going through during that season. Uh, his wife would give birth to their first child just a couple weeks after my dad died. Um, so he didn't know when that day was coming. His wife was expecting any moment. Uh, he was working full-time at Ford Motor Company, and he was a week later uh, going to be defending his PhD that he had worked so hard on. And I told him, I said, Norm, you don't have to be here. I know you've got a lot going on in your life. I'll be fine. Trust. He's like, no, I'm going to be here for you. And he was there for me. Do you have those kind of people in your life? And I, I hope so. And the Bible is full of stories of uh, wisdom and understanding that we are not created to live in isolation. We're created to be in community and have friendships with one another. You've probably heard these words before from Ecclesiastes. You know, two are, are better than one. Well, why are two better than one? Well, because they get a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Because we all go through valleys. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And that's one of those things that really burns my heart and the thing that's been really difficult for me over the, the last year and a half is when we went into our physical distancing and people isolated in their homes, I, I just couldn't get over the thought of uh, you know, widows and single people away from families. You know, they're doing everything from home and they can't get out. They can't do anything at all. And they're not interacting with people. And this is where I was so thankful for our team. When our tech team was able to get worship services online so we could engage that way for all of our communication team that revamped our website so we could connect with people and invite people if they needed something to put people in contact with our elders who are wonderful at helping to, to call people, small group leaders, connecting with their small group people and, and just members who said, I'll make phone calls for people. And so so we did our best, and I know we fell short because all over I just kept thinking, like, I know there are people who are alone, and we don't even know that they're hurting, but they're by, their, by themselves. God, just lead us to those people because pity is someone who has no one there to pick him up. And so this is why God established his church, by the way. And if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard the description of when Jesus laid out for his disciples what he was going to do. Peter just made this beautiful confession. One of the disciples of Jesus said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, I tell you, you are Peter. I, I knew that, Jesus. No, I'm talking about you, Peter, the rock. That's what Peter means. On this rock, your confession of faith, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, that word for church there, because um, it comes with all kinds of baggage in our world today, but the word for church in the Greek is ekklesia. And the word ekklesia has a completely different meaning than what we think about with church. The word ekklesia literally means called out ones that have called you for a different purpose, that you should look different than the rest of the world, not to keep yourself isolated from the world, but for the sake of the world. That's what the ecclesia is for. And we think today church is about a building. It's somewhere you go, and it's like, oh, no, it's never supposed to be that. It's supposed to be called out for the sake of the world. For what purpose? Well, for another Greek word to throw that out, koinonia, that I've used before. And I love this word. It really means fellowship. 
And you're like, well, I have no idea what fellowship is. That sounds like another church word. Is that just a bunch of guys that get on a ship? Is that what a fellowship uh, is? No, fellowship really is this communion with one another. It's a, a participation with one another. It's this close binding relationship. And, and the idea behind this is that no one gets left behind. That's what koinonia is about. So what I want to do is, is take a look just at a couple verses that Carlin read just a moment ago for us. Take a look at verse 12, and it says this, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See to it that none of you that's a plural you, that not a single one of you gets left behind. Because again, the truth of the matter is, is no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. But you can drift out of the Father's hands. You can walk out of the Father's hands. You can leap out of the Father's hands. And this is what he says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And this is the purpose of the ecclesia. That's the purpose of the koinonia, that we're, we're living together in such a way that this never happens to anybody in our own church body and in our own community. And so I think there are three things that I want to challenge myself with, I want to challenge you today with, and I hope that we can become more of a church like this. Because the truth of the matter is, the, the first ecclesia, the first thing that ecclesia should be about is the ecclesia focuses on the heart. And, and what I find is, is most often, at least people outside the church, think that the church is about behavior modification. That you show up at church and you try to live a good life and you care for one another and you love one another and you should, you should, you should, you shouldn't, 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 thou shalt, thou shalt not. And they think it's all about rule following and becoming just a better citizen in the world. I was talking to somebody recently doing some premarital counseling and, and he was a little reluctant to do premarital counseling with a pastor, but because he's marrying um, a Christian and they wanted me to do their wedding, I said, the only way I, I do weddings is that I do premarital counseling with you and it's gonna be a Christian wedding. And so he was a little nervous because he was really turned off to the faith when he was a child. His dad, um, as he describes him, was very, uh, was a zealot and, and just very passionate, but very condemning in his approach. And he said, it just turned me off from God whatsoever. So frankly, just to be honest with you, I didn't really want to talk to you when I was told, but he said, if, if we're going to do this wedding and John's going to do it, you have to sit through. And I appreciated the honesty. And I said, I know I, I get that because the perception is it's all about changing your behavior. And I said, I just want you to know, I hope you get to know Christ through the time that we get to spend together. But I, I can't force you to believe in Jesus. And I don't want to force you to believe in Jesus because it's not about me forcing you into doing some habit or attending church or saying some prayers or living your life a certain way. I, I pray that God changes your heart through our time together because that's the only way you're going to come to believe in Jesus because it's not about your behavior. It's about the heart. The heart is the seat of the emotions. That's where change comes in. I mean, nobody signs up. None of you want to have a family and they all just behave the right way, but their hearts are far from one another. You just don't care about one another, but you all behave nicely. Now, some of you might be thinking, no, I'd, I'd settle for behaving nicely. That would be wonderful in my home. If we could just get everybody behaving, that would be wonderful. But deep down, you really don't want that 
Because you don't want nice behavior, but then, man, as soon as the kids are grown and gone, they never want to come back because they don't want to be any part of that at all. I think all of us, deep down, want our kids to come back or at least desire to come back after the fact, after they leave the house. Nobody wants to be married to somebody who's just going through the motions. I'm just behaving in my marriage. I'm going to do, I guess, what's expected of me, but I don't really care about you. My heart's not in this relationship anymore. I remember one of the saddest songs growing up as a kid, um, and I, this is weird, uh, even as I say this, um, Meatloaf, like I'm quoting Meatloaf in church on a Sunday, um, which is strange to say. And I, I remember this song, and I just remember this refrain. I thought, man, how sad that is. Like I, I swore, I'd love you till the end of time. And so now I'm praying for the end of time. <laughs> I thought, man, what a sad commentary on relationships that that is, that that is the way. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people are just going through the motions because their heart is not in it. And the ecclesia is always supposed to be about the heart. And this is one of the things I lament about the Lutheran church. I love a lot of things about the Lutheran church. Our doctrine, I love our doctrine. It is deep. And there's a foundation there on the word of God and the central focus on Jesus. I love that about the Lutheran church. That's why I'm a Lutheran pastor. But there's some things that drive me crazy about the Lutheran church that sometimes it just gets so heady and we're so into Bible study. And, oh, that was great. Oh, that was wonderful. And there's nothing that changes in the heart. And so often there seems to be there's no emotion going on inside. And I'm like, I wonder, is there anything beating? Is there any excitement? Is there any passion for Jesus in your soul? Because a lot of times I'll hear, well, oh, we need another sermon just like that. Oh, that was wonderful. I'm like, you don't need more sermons. You need to do something with the sermons you've already heard. Go out and do something in the name of Jesus. Start doing something and get your heart engaged with your faith. It's not just all a head knowledge. There's a heart and a passion that goes along with this. This is what the ecclesia is. The ecclesia is also a place where we care for one another and we love one another well because life hurts. And when we find ourselves in the valley and we need somebody around, the ecclesia is supposed to be that place where we are caring and encouraging one another. I had a, when I was in Houston and doing student ministry down there at the beginning of my uh, pastoral ministry, I had a friend of mine who was a, um, he worked at a Baptist church and he had a couple teenage boys and he knew I worked with teenagers and he said, man, my kids are incredibly rebellious right now. Is there anything you can do to, to help? I said, well, tell me what's going on. And he described sort of the, the living they're doing. He said, they want to have nothing to do with church or God or faith. And, and uh, I said, well, have you shared your concerns with them? <laughs> 